passage is Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. I'm reading from the NIV 2011, and in the BH Church Bibles, you can find that on page 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Please do keep that passage open in front of you on page 22 on the church Bibles. Um, Let's pray together. Lord our God, we come to your word again this morning, reading this account of something that happened so many, very many years ago. Please speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to leave here changed as a result of meeting with you, the living Lord, in his word. Amen. Amen. I I remember, probably more than 20 years ago, trying to sell the house that I lived in, in Hackney, we, we, we were selling up to move to Leafy Kent, uh, and the, the first stages were going really very well. But then we started to hit the buffers. Now, it should have been very straightforward. Um, there was no chain in front of us. There were cash buyers behind us. But the whole process just 
started to stall. Now, I've got to be careful here. This might be raising emotions in some of you this morning, if you've been through that yourself. But I got to the point where the solicitor would say, oh yeah, next week, and then next week. And eventually I got to the point and said, look, stop. Tell me why you are confident that this next thing will happen next week. What is the basis of your confidence right now? And then there was that awkward silence. And, and, and he admitted as much, and I realized that his words were just to keep me placated. They were warm words based on guesswork and past experience. Our solicitor had just wanted me to trust his words. But in an instance, what dawned on me was that my trust, or what had now become my lack of trust, in the person making the promises to me was evident. And actually, I had now, not only were his words meaningless, but actually I realized I didn't trust the person who was making these promises to me. And as we come to our passage this morning, we see Abraham being put to the test by God. Abraham demonstrating that that trusting in the God who made a promise to him was perhaps more important than the promise itself. And that that trust he displayed was based on faith that was borne out in obedience Not quite trust equals faith plus obedience, but but more trust equals faith enacted, faith demonstrated, faith confirmed by obedience. And so we we come to our, our, our first bit of this passage this morning, the test. Genesis 22, verse 1. Let's read from verse 1 onward. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, he said to him, Abraham, Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Wow. Can any of us begin to imagine what was going through Abraham's head right now? How he had longed for a son, not only for a son for himself, but or, or to put an end to Sarah's disgrace. But later on, the son who would become the one, the fulfillment of God's promise to him, when he was told that he, Abraham, would become a great nation. And God said these words that must have felt like six daggers to his heart. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Let's give him a name. Isaac. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering. That, that almost seems horrific, doesn't it? And, and, and let's, let's be clear, in case we're tempted to think that Abraham had this sort in his head, if, if this was a, an easy thing for Abraham to do, um, we wouldn't be reading this account this morning. It wouldn't be recorded here in this agonizing detail in Genesis 22. As an onlooker uh, this morning, we might be forgiven for asking the question, what kind of God is this? Why would God do something like this? But here it is, it is in front of us, and, and it may be uncomfortable, but we need to work out what we are to, to learn from this test. From verse 3 onward, we'll see how Abraham responded to the test, but what is at the heart of this test? Will Abraham trust God? That's the test. Will Abraham trust God? Will he trust God to fulfill 
the promise to him despite what the situation suddenly looks like? Will he bottle it as, when he, as he passed Sarah off as his sister? Will he uh, take, 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 take things into his own hands like when Sarah suggested that he take one of her uh, maidservants to, to father a child because it wasn't happening? Or perhaps will his feelings for this most beloved son get in the way of God's purposes? Will he trust God and follow his plan when it seems to, to run counter to any, under, any understanding of what Abraham thought ought to happen? Now, I can't imagine that any of us here, or a few of any, but any of us have had to make the kind of decision that Abraham faced this morning in our passage. But the question hanging in front of Abraham is still there perhaps to be answered in a different way for each of us. What in my life is unnegotiable before God? What is it that stops me letting God be Lord of every part of my life? Now, I, I don't know any of you personally, and it's always a danger when, someone, when a visiting preacher comes um, to a congregation to ask questions like this. And the risk is that what I'm about to do just starts to induce guilt in all of you. And that, that's not my, my aim this morning. It's not to beat you up spiritually, trust me. But the question that each of us from time to time should ask ourselves is this. In this situation, if this was, if this was me, what would be the test that God would put in front of me? What is potentially unnegotiable before God? Children? Family? Money? A particular relationship, perhaps? Our career? Our identity? Perhaps just stuff, things that we own, our, our property, our home that we live in. What, what have I left off the list? None of these things are intrinsically bad in themselves. They're all good things. But which of those things are unnegotiable before God and his plans in our lives? That's perhaps the question that we might ask ourselves. I want to move on quickly from that. Because if, if we see the... The test, the test was actually God saying to Abraham, what will you put before me? Will you trust me in this situation? Let's move on to the response. How did Abraham respond to the test that God has set for him? Well, he responded by faith and obedience. He responded by faith and obedience. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. There was no hanging about with Abraham. There was no talking over with anyone. We don't know if he talked it through with Sarah. What a conversation that would have been. The impression we get is that he acted decisively, instantly, without delay. And, and this, this man of great stature, of great wealth, not to mention of great age, he was a hundred years old. He took complete responsibility. He cut the wood himself. He, he loaded his donkey and he set off with his son Isaac and two of his servants. And verse 4 we see, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. For three days he journeyed. For three days, undoubtedly, 
he worked through in his mind the Lord's words to him over and over again. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And then they were there, or at least they were within striking distance of it. Verse 5, he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice he says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. I mean, what did he mean by this? I'm not sure we can entirely be sure. Is this an expectation by Abraham that the Lord is about to do something miraculous? He's about to sacrifice his only son and somehow the Lord might bring him back to life again. We, we, we don't really know. But verse 6, he kept going. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he, carried, and he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Finally, Isaac speaks up. They have traveled for three days. They have wood. They have fire. They have a knife. But where is the animal that is to be sacrificed? Now, I know as a parent, there are times when I've not wanted to say, to answer a question from, from one of my girls. Often it's because I've not wanted to say yes, but I've also not wanted to say no at the same time. Often there's a bigger picture that they don't perceive. You know, Daddy, can we have an ice cream, please? Which, which, with, to which I didn't want to answer yes or no. Yes, we would have an ice cream that day, but what they didn't realize was as a surprise, we might be going to an ice cream parlor later and there's an even bigger ice cream they were going to get than the cone that they maybe wanted from the ice cream van at the beach. And so my response, we'll see. That's a great catch-all response, isn't it? I don't know how many of your parents have used that over the years. We'll see. Actually, many years later, my eldest called me out and I said, Daddy, that means no, doesn't it? Um, and, but, but we'll see. But Abraham's response to Isaac wasn't, we'll see, or the equivalent of it. Without Isaac knowing the full picture, his father's statement to him was both a statement of fact, of absolute truth. God had provided the sacrifice. It was Isaac. And at the same time, it was a statement of faith. He didn't know exactly how, but Abraham knew that God's plans were going to work out. He knew it had to work out. He was still trusting in God. Maybe that was part of the faith that led him to say, we will worship God and then we will come back to you. However, the time had come for that faith to be borne out in a final act of obedience. The physical journey had finished, but the mental and emotional journey of the past three days still had some distance to go. Verse 9 when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
We really don't know very much about Isaac at this point, apart from him being described as a boy or a youth. But we do know that he was old enough, certainly strong enough to carry sufficient wood on this final part of the journey that was intended to consume his whole dead body. And so that if he was strong enough to do that, we can only assume that he was strong enough to resist a 100-year-old man who was intent on binding him up and on killing him. In fact, when we read on into Genesis, we don't really get to know very much about Isaac and his character and his personality. He's certainly not perfect, certainly when he repeats one of his his father's tricks of passing his wife off as his sister. But among the patriarchs, is there another like Isaac who appeared to display obedience like this? who was willing to sacrifice himself out of obedience to his father, out of obedience to his God. Verse 10, Then he reached out his hand, Abraham this is, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The moment had come, and Abraham did not fail the test. Nothing in Abraham's life was unnegotiable. Abraham's life actually was one big test after another. But this one final test, this one ultimate test, was the one that Abraham passed. Abraham feared God and placed him above all else. Now, I said earlier that not many of us will face a test like Abraham, but we will face tests in our lives, things that will cause us anxiety. A silly example, just I recalled yesterday morning, that felt really enormous at the time. I was in the youth fellowship of my church in, in Coleraine in the north of Ireland. And our church, um, the, the gates opened on to the, the marketplace, the diamond it was called. And we as a youth, long story, but we as a youth fellowship decided we wanted to go out and do an outreach event on a Saturday to anybody who happened to be there. A group of 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds. And we decided we were going to do some street outreach. Uh, and we prayed for some time. We prepared ourselves. Um, And as we went into the church to pray before going out, rather nervously, we we saw these two guys, two buskers, playing the accordion just about 10 metres from the gates of the church. And we were devastated. We're thinking, Lord, what's going on? This was enormous in our lives. We wanted to do this. And we could have been reaching reaching to the Psalms and raining down brimstone on these guys. You know, thinking, Lord, what's going on? Who are these people who are anti the gospel, who are you know going to take people away from us? You know, as you can imagine, it wasn't a big thing looking back, but in our minds it was a thing. And but we didn't. We decided to pray in faith, Lord, you know, your will be done in this situation. We mean no ill to these people. You know, please, will you make it work in the end? And I remember as we we went out confidently, fearfully, um, and we set ourselves up. And we're just about to start. I think somebody started strumming a guitar as we're about to sing. And these two buskers, with a crowd of about 30 or 40 people who were watching them, just walked slowly across to us and brought their crowd with them. 
It was a group of buskers from Bangor County Down who were just having some fun, Christians, and who saw what we were about to do and brought the crowd to us, whom we preached to and sang to and did all sorts of things like that. A silly thing, but... And and these things are often routine, aren't they? The the things that cause us anxiety are, are routine, not always nice, being slandered perhaps, being misrepresented, being hurt because we've been not chosen for that team, because we've not been chosen for that event. We've been left off the, the party list for that party from our friends that we wanted to go to. A planning application from the house next door that I really don't like the look of. How will we respond to those tests? Will it be to fight back in underhand ways? Will it be devious to manipulate the truth, to harbor anger? in our hearts or will it be to apply the teaching of the Bible in loving, godly, in truthful ways, in ways that will lead us away from sinning, that will keep us close to the will that we already know. We don't need a special revelation from God in those situations how to deal. He tells us how we ought to live our lives, that we will live lives that avoid sinning. Verse 13, Abraham looked up And there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so Isaac survived. The promise was secure. And the much waited for boy was the offspring through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. But the promise was not ultimately fulfilled in Isaac. Rather, it was fulfilled in another who would come many years later, wasn't it? Descended from Isaac. We started off with the test and then the response. But thirdly, there's the bigger bigger plan hidden in plain sight in this passage. Now, I don't know if, if like me, you're visiting Bishop Hannington this, this morning. Or perhaps you you're visit your hair and you're relatively new to the Bible and Christian things. But although we've been reading about Abraham's faith and obedience in this passage, there is something much, much bigger that I'm sure many of you will have spotted this morning. A bit like re-watching an Agatha Christie detective drama and spotting the things that you missed first time around that were ultimately important to solving the case. Because in this account of Abraham and of Isaac, we see enacted the first glimpse, the first forward echo of something much, much bigger that would change everything for all time. I wonder if you spotted them with me. The father offering his son, his son, his son whom he loved as a sacrifice. The son willingly offering himself as a sacrifice. The son carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed on. From the moment that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac was ready in Abraham's mind dead. Yet in three days later, his son returned back to him metaphorically alive. There's some debate, but it's thought that Mount Moriah is pretty near modern day Golgotha outside Jerusalem. So not only did God make a promise to Abraham, but he enacted in his life the means by which the ultimate meaning of the promise that he made to him would be fulfilled generations later. 
And so we go to the gospel accounts and we see God the Father send his only beloved son, the Lord Jesus, to be sacrificed on a wooden cross. The cross that he carried to his own place of execution. The son that went willingly out to death, willingly out of faith and obedience to his father. The son who died on a hill outside Jerusalem and who came back to life three days later. But there is, of course, a difference, something of a difference. In Jesus' case, there was no ram to die instead of him, like there was for Isaac. Instead of a substitute dying in Jesus' place, he became our substitute. Later on in the Old Testament, in Moses' time, God institutes the animal sacrifice to deal with Israel's sin, a sacrifice that was made every year. But Jesus became the last and final sacrifice once and for all to take the punishment for all people. It was him who became a substitute for the penalty that each of us deserve for our sin, for our rejection of God himself. And right here in the story of Abraham, we see God's bigger picture, God's plan to restore the broken relationship between him and the people whom he created. And so how did God respond to Abraham's faith and obedience? A promise confirmed. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The angel of the Lord called a second time. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son. This is not a restatement of the promise that God made to to Abraham in Genesis 12. This is much more emphatic than that. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. The promise is not just restated, it is confirmed. The promise that was made many years ago, um, when, when Abraham had done nothing to please God, it was purely God speaking out to Abraham at that point, this promise was now sealed by the devotion and obedience shown by Abraham. In fact, James, many years, describes it like this in James, 20, uh, James 2, verse 21 onwards. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions working together and his faith um, was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. And so as we draw to a close, what is it that God wants of us, brothers and sisters, this morning? What is it that God wants of us? From those of us who are already followers of the Lord Jesus, if, if we are truly to experience the blessing of God in our lives, we need to continue to learn what it means to trust the Lord. Not least when the circumstances cause us to question why the Lord is permitting what is happening in front of us, whether whatever is confusing or testing, 
or whatever hurtful thing is happening in front of us that causes us to doubt him. To demonstrate, he's calling us to demonstrate our faith and his plans for us by obedience to his will from what we already know revealed in his Bible. And as we look to those promises from the Bible, we take comfort, but ask ourselves, do we actually have confidence in the God who makes those promises? Is that where our trust is? Not the words of the promises, but the God who makes them to us. And to those of us this morning who are not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus, what is it that is stopping us recognizing God for who he is? What is it that we don't want to give up? What is unnegotiable in our lives? This passage this morning points us to a blessing for you too. From the very beginning of time, we see that God has a plan to deal with the problem of our sins. The very thing that separates us from Almighty God, our righteous God. Jesus himself said the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The blessing of eternal life is promised to those who trust that God died on that cross, paying once and for all for the sins that we deserved to have paid, uh, that we deserve to pay, accepting that by faith alone, that by understanding there's nothing we can do to earn favor with God and then confirming that faith through obedience by repenting by submitting to his lordship by making him lord of our life by doing that the most fantastic promise is fulfilled in us by the most trustworthy promiser of all let's pray Father God, please help us in our daily life, our daily walk with you, to learn what it means to trust you more and more, what it means to exercise faith and confirm that by our obedience in doing what is right before you that we know revealed in your word. Lord, thank you ultimately for the promises and this beginning of the telling of the story of Jesus right from Genesis 22 that you had a plan that you alone are the one we trust in and we could see you fulfilling through all of scripture that the Lord Jesus would come. That you provided the sacrifice once and for all paid for our sinfulness that we may be made right before you. That that promise you made may be confirmed in our lives. That you have sealed us with the Holy Spirit and that you call us yours and you keep us for eternity. Help us, Lord, to make this real in our lives, to remember it day by day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.